Welcome to the Woke Blokes podcast, hosted by Nick Sutherland from MindFit and Ryan Hassan from the Center for Healing. Let's get into today's episode. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Woke Blokes podcast. It is Ryan Hassan here, joined by Nick Sutherland. Nick, how are you, mate? I'm woke as fuck. Woke as fuck. We have changed the name of the podcast. The last two episodes, even though the intro has said Woke Blokes, when the episode has actually started, I said, welcome to the Men of Metanoia podcast. No, you didn't. You said Men of Metanoia. So because I, with my linguistic skills, was having so much trouble saying the word Metanoia, then um, we decided to change the name. So after we recorded the last episode, Nick's like, look, why don't we just go with something a bit more simple? And I'm like, yeah, like what? And he said, woke blokes. And I'm like, it's fucking perfect, basically. Well, because we're, we're, there was a, a running joke about uh, woke as fuck, hashtag, hashtag woke as fuck. And we, we don't literally think we are woke. We don't use that in our regular literally literally I'm awake like I'm not asleep right now ah Jesus see what I'm working with here people (laughs) well I think so I might be asleep oh well you could be but there is a concept out there that most of humanity is in is in a sleep and then Mm. there are there are some people that are becoming more conscious becoming some people use enlightened I don't like that word because I I think I I associate enlightenment with something else but I I get where they're coming from but what do you associate it with uh, more Buddhism, like disappearing into a, you know, in a pink cloud of unicorn tears. Yeah, I think, yeah, it's like the issue that I have with Enlightened is because like everyone thinks that's the end game. Yeah. And like that's where we're trying to get to. Yeah. And everyone's trying to search for that guru or that person who is, in air quotes, enlightened yeah. and thinking that's the end game. Yeah. But I don't think that's the case. I mean, we, I, I think I've had periods of being enlightened in my life. They've been few and far between well there's a literal expression you know i've had my eyes opened mm-hmm. and if you link that with woke blokes or becoming woke or you know it's, it's such a not our generation expression but mm-hmm. we're, we're taking the piss out of ourselves by saying it but it, it all links back to having our eyes open gaining more insight gaining more a deeper understanding yes being more present being more conscious more curious the, yeah about life yeah I think. more open-minded yeah so what's enlightened would mean i think Letting more light in. Oh, gee whiz! You've just you've am just I going too woo no, right now? Just, you've just you've just teed off and snapped it three hundred meters down the guts. Yes, nice. Yes, nice. I'll take that. I, I like it. It was so profound. Uh, what's been happening, mate? Since we spoke last, we just had a two-hour <laughs> brief chat with Tristan Rose from Blind Tiger Yoga. Bloody legend of a bloke. Bloody legend. Bloody he, legend. Uh, I got introduced to Tristan. He came down to Mornington, had a coffee with me, as you did once upon a time, uh, and we just had an instant connection, instant rapport, instant vibe. You know, uh, similar to what you and I had. Uh, he he's a, a vet, served in Afghanistan um, infantry, and and got blown up in a vehicle. And you know, through his journey, found yoga and how it helped heal his body and mind to a certain degree. Um, and he's just a rad dude to talk to. He's he's he, he thinks outside the square, which is hundred percent. I, I love that. I love that. I think that's where we exist as well. Is we're not in the common thread of things mm-hmm. we're, we're looking at things objectively and differently and open-minded and yep. 
challenging and we're curious and, and he's, he's on a very similar vein. So And he's going to come on the show. Yes, he is. Yes, we're yes. going to have our first Woke Blokes three-way. Hello. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> All right, note to self, bring, uh, bring the box of goodies that day. <laughs> bring my A-game. Uh, so what else is happening? Um, yeah, just just working, life, just balance. Just, yeah, nothing really much to report, same old, same old. And, That's all right. And you're, how's new dad going for you? Dad life's awesome. Uh, do you, little, do little you consider yourself a new dad still, or you're just a dad now? Hmm. Let me think about that. No, I'm a new dad. Yeah, it's okay. only four months. Yeah, I reckon I'm a new dad up until nine months. Okay. Yeah. Right. I don't know why that sure. number just came in. I thought one year. Nah, I'm just a dad then. Mm-hmm. Six months too soon. Well, it's the it's the um, I don't want to say it's not the gestation period. What's the how what's the term for how long a woman's pregnant for? Yeah, the um, yeah. What's that? Gestation word? is, is it, it gestation? I think it is. Okay, gestation it's smarter than period. I knew I was. We'll get corrected on that, but that's all right. <laughs> anyway, the full pregnancy term is nine months. Yeah. So I feel nine months of me being a dad. Yeah, I think that's about right. Okay. Um, I'm enjoying the process. He's showing more of like smiles and a bit of personality here and there and that kind of thing. So yep. I'm just trying to enjoy the process. I think we spoke on the last show about that whole uh, loving him, accepting him fully, no matter whether he's laughing in joy or crying for mm. three hours at a time. So that, that's that's my – he's like a teacher for me. So instead um, of him being, in your eyes, perfect and ticking all your boxes of what you need him to be, yeah. it's more loving him without any of those boxes. Yeah, yeah. And it's like trying to challenge a lot of the, the norms. Like, you know, pe- people will say it's like off-the-hand comment, but it, there's a lot more to it. So it's like, oh, has he been sleeping through the night? And maybe he hasn't been. Mm. And then it's like – Oh, so has he been a good boy and slept through the night? Yeah. Oh, he hasn't been a good boy. It's an association. Like, why are we why are we labelling or determining him a good or bad boy depending on whether he slept through the night or not? You should have called him Norm. Because <laughs> Norm, <laughs> he, uh, and so trying to trying to just yeah challenge that a bit and just say, well, hang on, no, it's not. We're not trying to parent for our convenience. We just want to try and create the space for a, you know, a thorough, a, a flourishing human being, so to speak. You could have called him Norm because then when he misbehaves, you could go, fuck the Norm. Fuck the <laughs> Call him police. <laughs> fuck the police. <laughs> police Hassan. It's got a ring to it. <laughs> With my criminal no. record, it would be quite no. I- ironic. Norm Hassan's better. Um, yeah, Norm. I, I, um, I was going to call my dog Norman. I thought oh, that was a funny name for a dog. And then Disco, who's my dog, he's uh, eight years old now. Because Disco's um, not a funny name for a dog. Disco's, I'm so happy we named Disco. (laughs) But um, we were going to call him Norm before we got the dog. And then one of my mate and his missus, they got a dog like a few weeks before and named it Norman. And I'm like, oh, come Come on. on, guys. But it was all meant to be because I got to name him Disco and it's all good. So you you detached from your desire. I, I did and had a Disco. Um, apart from that, dad life, I had a, a really cool experience on this Sunday just gone. I um, got asked to speak at an event down on Warrigal uh, at the Warrigal Football Club. Yep. Um, yeah, really. So what happened, a, a local kid down there, I think he was in his early 20s, had taken his own life mm. recently. Mm-hmm. Um, happens my, so much. At, like footy clubs are so impacted by... Big time. Well, everyone is, of course. Everyone, yeah. And, and so the... 
people down in the community want to put on this event, a guy that I know, Matt Runnell, shout out to Matt, runs a non-for-profit called Mindful Oz. Go a lot Matt. of their work's around raising awareness around suicide, suicide prevention, creating programs to help with that stuff. And mm-hmm. so they put on the event down there. Um, for starters, for a bunch of people, because Matt's whole thing is we're going to talk about stuff raw. We're not going to tiptoe around the word suicide or, or drugs or anything like that. We're just going to say it kind mm-hmm. of how it is because mm-hmm. the more you try not to say something, the more power it has. Yeah. So we went down there. There's like 300 people. Yeah. Like it's standing room only. That's what I meant. Footy clubs are such an integral part of the community. Yeah. It made me think. I'm like, man, there's just – you know, there's a real uh, desire for people to actually have these real conversations and try and understand what's going on. So a mm. lot of people there. Um, the day was just the, the the sort of message for the day was hope, like giving people mm. hope and understanding. Um, it was also mixed with just such the heaviness of the topics being mm. discussed. You know, the whole day started off with the father of the kid who committed suicide talking for like five or ten minutes. Yeah, wow. um, just yet incredibly brave, incredibly courageous. Then we had... Um, couple of speakers myself and Matt spoke towards the end and then we did a, a bit of a panel discussion up on the stage and then a Q&A mm-hmm. and like I said the day was mixed with this heavy topics really raw really open then mixed with hope as well and we we're on this ride the whole way I was sort of just gauging the energy of the room the whole yeah. time Q&A started it's going awesome there's questions answers once again this mixture Q&A ends up going for nearly an hour I reckon wow. maybe more from about half an hour into that, it started just just the heaviness was coming on more mm. and there wasn't as much of the hope. And, mm. you know, we were just it, the, the energy in the room was just getting a bit funny and I'm sitting, I'm up on stage sort of answering questions and so are the other guys and I could just feel, I'm like, something needs to happen here. We need to, you know, I didn't know what. And yeah. I'm like, something needs to happen. Oh, God. Then what happens? Um, this girl had asked a question towards the start of the Q&A. You know, she puts yeah. her hands up and says, oh, how do I approach my mother to talk about my mental illness she basically doesn't want to know about it and thinks mental illness is bullshit and mm. that kind of thing and um you know i just said to her i said when we're going through something like a mental illness you know we want to feel heard we want mm. to feel understood and we naturally automatically think oh my parents mm-hmm. well out of anyone in the whole world my parents are the ones who are going to receive that and hear it unfortunately that's not the case sometimes yeah it's not that okay? ideal world it's, it's not that ideal world and and if that message isn't going to be received then you got to find your tribe that was a message from a lot of the other people as well it's yeah. like find your tribe the people who there's people out there who will listen they will connect they will understand you they don't have to try and fix you but they'll they'll understand and listen yeah. to you you know so that was the, her question and she, accept her I and guess. accept 100 percent. and so she sort of had a few tears after that and no worries then the q a 45 minutes later and like i said the energy was getting quite heavy then we'll come kind of towards the end and like any more questions and this same girl bang hand shoots up mm. look out there they point like yep because what happens they were just asking questions from the crowd yeah. and we kind of had a microphone yeah. and we would answer to everyone it was like she was taken over by something right she put her hand up then she got up out of her chair marched down the front to the stage that we were on yeah. grabbed the microphone turned back so she was facing 300 people the yeah. whole crowd she said my name is said her full name yeah. i've been struggling with mental illness for this long i'm 17 years old now when i was 16 i tried to take my own life um i've been struggling with this this and this just this friday gone i had this really bad day i came home and started cutting myself i just didn't want to live anymore she said coming along here and seeing that there's other people that are struggling people that want to talk about this stuff and have these conversations and there's people out there like me yeah. makes me want to breathe again it makes me want to live again Right. Oh, tingles. Mate, I... <laughs> You're getting emotional. <laughs> yeah, I, n- no shit. And then she finished and it was like, 
she just couldn't believe what she'd just done, yeah. and she just started crying. Everyone in the crowd oh, is wow. crying, and we just Fuck. and we just got up on stage and just hugged her, oh. just hugged her, and it was just like wow. And I just said to her, I'm like, that is one of the most bravest things I've ever seen anyone do. What a legend! Just a legend. And um, yeah, I'm getting tingles talking Same. about. Same. <laughs> 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 and um, yeah, what a story. What just, an experience. Just, just so, so good. And just it was so interesting. This energy was getting lower. I'm like, something needs to happen. Yeah. And this 17 year old she girl steps up like, and fucking literally just stepped up. And um, that was so beautiful. And just an amazing way to finish the event. And everyone yeah. obviously left feeling a lot more empowered and that kind of thing. I love so, it when that happens. Yeah, j- j- just amazing. So a shout out to that football club and 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 the whole community and. Hundred percent, seventeen-year-old girl, and hopefully, you know, with the success of that one, there's going to be some more around yeah. the different regions of Victoria and that kind of thing, I'd which love, is very needed. I'd love to. I mean, as a, that's a beautiful thing that, that you can't take anything away from that at all, and that's there's always going to be a need for that. But my mind is instantly drawn to: wouldn't it be great if we didn't have to act in such a reactive way and mm. go to a football club? because the worst case scenarios happen. Couldn't we go to a football club and talk about this stuff without having mm-hmm. someone need to take their yeah. own life? I wonder, it seems like, uh, not just this situation but other ones, it seems like things have to get so bad for action to be taken. Mm. I'm talking on the, on the whole now. Yeah. And then once we realise how bad a certain thing is that we haven't known before and we get an understanding about that, then society i think and and systems get put in place to start to take more proactive steps it makes me think of like um you know prostate cancer or something mm. right so prostate cancer is another, i think it's the number one cancer yeah. that, that kills men um but it receives like the least amount of funding or something yeah but but that. like we i think we know now that it's quite preventable mm. you just have it if you have these checkups once you're over a certain age then it becomes preventable. You can pick it up really early, and if it's picked up early, it can be dealt with. But normally, it's it gets really, really bad, and it's to a point where someone dies. So, do we just accept that that's human nature? That's how humans are, or can well, we? Well, like, well, well now, everyone- what they're doing, they're putting in place for that particular thing. I think every man over the age of forty or fifty, I can't remember what age it is, the government pays. So you get sent out a testing kit. Yeah. So I think now there's still resistance. But to how many it. how many dudes had to die of prostate cancer before this happened? Yeah, and I don't know how many dudes are actually doing this test, yeah. even though it gets sent out free yeah. of charge. All you have to do is Ignorance like take is a, a swab of your ass or something, yeah. and put it back in the envelope I do that and send every it. Day. Like, yeah, <laughs> where are you sending yours? <laughs> People you don't like randomly. <laughs> Just phone book. Some kid who picked on you in high school. <laughs> no, <laughs> mail my shit to you. No, I'm, I'm not. I'm not. I'm not like that. It's just anyone. Um, but, but it's it's sort of like who? Why do you know? Pain is a great motivator. So, but but there are people who go to the dentist because they don't want to get a root canal. They want to maintain their teeth in a state where, right, I don't have to go through that pain and suffering that experience. So I'm going to go proactively every six months and get my, my teeth cleaned. There are, there are, we have the potential, we have the capacity to operate in that way. So now how, mu- how many people's though, over generations and generations, teeth had to get completely fucked for us to realise that was preventable. Yeah, but I think early. enough people have killed themselves where it can be more proactive you think so. in mental health. You would think so. Well, yeah, it's, I mean, yeah, it's, it's just, it's baffling. But The one thing that comes up, though, I suppose, yeah, I mean, this, tragically, this young man had killed himself, but now, you know, in this, there was so many 
young males in that room yeah, yeah. listening to people and now having conversations that they absolutely wouldn't have had unless this yeah, tragedy totally, happened. Totally, and and there's always a silver lining. I'm, I'm so proud of that football club for being proactive yeah. and, and fighting that. You know, um, as I said, it's, it's always going to happen. We can't live in utopia, and so I'm not creating an expectation that should happen. I'm just I'm just sort of putting some food for thought out there and maybe it's because no one's offering it so I'd like to offer Ryan and I are happy to come and talk proactively to any people that would like to learn how to maybe you know prevent um whether it's young kids or older adults getting into a space where they feel that suicide's the only option yeah because there's there's an old there's a way out of everything except death yeah is the expression and I think with that mental emotional health it's like the car instead of when the car's sort of got one flat tire going to get it sorted out yeah. the car's just four flat tires broken windows transmissions fire it just chugs into the mechanics and you're like can you sort this out for me <laughs> the mechanics like why didn't you bring it in months ago yeah. you know that's, that's neglect it's neglect it is it's it's hoping it's hoping that whatever i'm going through will just go away by itself bury the head in the sand but that brings into question if you've got a Maserati or, or something that you know, the car of your dreams. I've got four. <laughs> <laughs> You're doing too many cashies. If you if you've got the car of your dreams and it gets a flat tire, sure as shit, you're going to take that bad boy into the mechanics. This is a good point, right? Yep. And it's going to go straight into the mechanics. Proactive is all hell. We're going to because we value it. It's like as soon as also one bird takes a shit on it, we'll get buffered out yeah, and we'll clean totally it. Totally right. My old, my old Ford Falcon wagon, like that thing, I didn't wash it for three <laughs> months. <laughs> so I think it may come down to a, a, a level of self-value. Why don't we take ourselves in for a service? Why don't we take ourselves in? How do I value myself as a Maserati as opposed to a 2005 BA Falcon Wagon gas well, only. It's all your perception. It's how you look at yourself in the mirror. Right. That's the narrative that you've got in your head. It's like you spoke about earlier. With that client, their narrative was all negatives. And so you're not going to value something. You're going to look at that as a BA Falcon. Sorry, Ford. Um, <laughs> happy to have you as a sponsor, by the way. Um, Compared to Maserati, you, you, the narrative is completely different. The, the the record that's playing in your head tells a completely different story, paints a completely different picture. So your perception of yourself is very poor if you've got these toxic words, I'm a piece of shit, I'm lazy, I can't do this, I can't I do never that. follow through. And yeah, all that sort of stuff. Where if you're sort of like, oh, I'm actually a good guy, I'm kind, I'm caring, I'm considerate, I'm, you know, I, I, it builds your sense of worth internally you don't rely on things externally to tell you what you're worth or how valuable you are you know that you're a fucking maserati and you deserve to you know to to go into the mechanics and to get a service every now and then like that's the space i've ended up in i, I go and talk to a counselor every um, month i go to the dentist every six months um i don't want to wait i just I, I guess it's come it's for me it's come from having so many people around me fall down is that I don't want to end up in a position where I'm sort of semi-partly wholly responsible for that happening I'm going to I'm going to do everything I can 
to stay where I'm at so I can be of value to other people. So if I'm if I'm valuable for myself, then I'm of value to society, I think. Taking complete ownership and responsibility. Accountability, as Tristan said earlier. Yes. That accountability. I'm accountable for the state of my being. Yes. No one else is. Yeah, you're right. So the the more we value ourselves, then the more naturally we will take care of ourselves. I think so. But uh, you know, the old school was don't love yourself. Mm. It's selfish. Don't be a selfish You're arrogant. Yeah. Arrogant. You can't love yourself. Where I think that was a massive... <sighs> is misconstruction a word? It is now. So cool. Cat that Webster's put that in now. <laughs> I think there's a... A misconstruction. I think there was a, a, a misunderstanding around what love, self-love actually is and what they were talking about, I believe, in those past generations was more of an ego level where instead of a soul, a being, a spiritual self-love, it's uh, I, am, I am here, I am present, I am, I am this, you know. Instead of it's, yeah, I agree with the past generation, don't you love yourself in an egotistical way. Uh, but you've got to love yourself just for the pure fact that you're here. Yeah, it's like, is is every human being intrinsically valuable in some way? I had this with a client oh, last year and she came in and lack of self-worth was, it was, yeah, just wasn't even there. And something I'm, a tool I use is, is cognitive behaviour therapy and I, I'm trying to, bring rationality and logic and reasoning into into these people's thinking and i said all right so explain to me if somebody who has a um a learning disorder or is handicapped or disabled are they less valuable than a criminal and she's like oh um and I got her thinking, which was good. I started opening her mind and getting a bit of curiosity spinning around. And she's like, well, no, they're both valuable. And I said, why? And she goes, because they're both humans. Mm. And I'm like, I fucking gotcha. <laughs> <laughs> and I went, so now there's a handicapped person, a criminal, and there's you all in the room. Who is the least valuable, the most valuable out of them? And she could tell that I'd checkmated her. Yeah. And she was like, trying to wiggle out of it, trying to get out of it. And she, she finally she finally succumbed and, and gave over and allowed her belief system to change and she allowed the thought. And it had a very rapid change in her physiology and everything. Like it was a, a really interesting experience to observe and, and she finally... What did you notice in her physiology? Just a, a, a relax... Yeah. sort of a wave of relaxation you know just through the face and all the muscles there's just I don't know, you know metaphysically her vibe changed instantly and I think that just had a ripple effect um, you know she just she just there was a shift in how she looked and I think when she allowed herself to believe that she is is worthwhile like it, it just opened up a different door a different pathway for her yeah yeah, it's like we we all walk around with this belief that every other human is valuable in some way, except us. Yeah. <laughs> like not, not me. Not me though. I I'm the one. I'm the one out of the fucking eight billion that isn't valuable in yeah. some way. But then everyone else, or ninety percent of people, are thinking the same thing. 
and none of it makes any sense. But that's the thing. It's irrational. It doesn't make sense. And that's yeah. that's by definition. It's irrational. It's illogical. So it's, it's emotional. It's unreasonable. It is. It's, it's emotional. emotional. At some point, we were made to feel very not valuable or we were only rewarded when we were being valuable as in doing something. Yeah. Or it's just human nature and it's one of our things that we need to overcome. Yeah. That's how I look at it. Yeah. So we want to make ourselves the Maserati. You are the Maserati. You are the Maserati. Just believe that you are the Maserati and you are. I am. I think therefore I am. You know, it's that. I'm going to go and tell my Ford Falcon tonight. I'm going to whisper it to it. Mm. You are the Maserati. <laughs> and then tomorrow morning. <laughs> I think that's being delusional. Uh, but it's, it's a really interesting. Oh, like it, it is that how we perceive it. We are what we become. We are what we think we are. So mm. if we've got this you know, record running around through our heads that I'm lazy, I'm incompetent, I'm fucked, I'm all these sort of things. And it's very solid, it's very concrete, it's very rigid thinking. But then you marry that with a an expectation that I should be amazing, I should be wonderful, I should be smart. You're really setting yourself up to fail because you're creating two different extremes and putting a barrier in between them. It's like living in France and then looking at England and going, I should be living in England, but there's English Channel in between you. you know? mm-hmm. How are you going to get there? How it's, it's, you, know, you need a vehicle to get there. And that yeah, you, otherwise you. you're stuck. Exactly. And then you go round and round in circles and by nature, like we're looking out a window at a set of traffic lights and if we interviewed every person, if we surveyed every person at this intersection when the red light came, or if we observed it, you'll see so many people speed through the orange because by nature we hate getting stopped. We hate slowing down. We hate you know, the inconvenience of a red light. So we will endanger ourselves and other people by rushing through that just, you know, and then we'll cop the next red light. <laughs> so yeah. It doesn't really achieve anything. <laughs> But, you know, this, see that right there, that black car, they're, they're rushing through. And if we went out and said, how are you feeling? Oh, I hate red lights. Mm. Okay. And it's just that by nature we don't like to to be stuck. By nature we don't like to you – know, and when we're stuck, I think we, we just become more open to, to getting hit with things. Yeah, it's like we, we always want to be in that next spot. Yeah. Yeah. And if if we stand still, we're an easy target. Yeah, you know, things things hit us more. So yeah. Anyway, what are we talking about today? And stuff and things. Trolls. Bloody trolls under the bridge. <laughs> trolls hiding. What's the definition of a troll? Where well, yeah, this is this has come about. Um, Taylor Harris. For those of you that have been living under a bridge for the last couple of weeks, uh, AFL women's football. <laughs> <laughs> oh, 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 I thought oh, I got away God, with that. That's unreal. Uh, so Taylor asked a photographer to take a photo of her in full flight, kicking a football. Amazing photo. Um, and it, it got put out there and the – oh, how do I choose my words carefully with this? I think, I think our human – I think our – the the society the flaws in our in us as a society were exposed. Mm-hmm. I think is how I want to frame that. Um, because I think it's a you know, we're, po- we're we're pointing out the trolls, but I think if we look at this as a collective, if we look at society as a person, this was really our bad side coming out. Yes, and which seems to be highlighted online more than anywhere. 
Um, so, yeah, let me, I'll, I just looked up the definition of a troll on my phone here. And it's got a photo of you. There it <laughs> Reminds me of those, you know, those toys with the big crazy hair. Yeah, yeah. Were they trolls? Troll yeah. dolls, yeah. Troll dolls. So there is like two definitions. There's a more recent one, which is a person who makes a deliberately offensive or provocative online post. Now, the first one, though, I find more interesting. Troll. In folklore, an ugly creature depicted as either a giant or a dwarf. That interests me because I feel like an online troll behind their keyboard feels like a giant, mm. but they're actually a dwarf if you come across them in person. I, I once read that as an empath, it's, it's hard, you know, it's, it's impossible to get angry or upset at anyone, you know, because you understand too much or you can empathise with people too much. So I, I, I'm very much like that. I, I look beyond what people are projecting. On the surface, I can completely understand why people would have that perception and take that stance that yeah, it's because it, it is a very ugly character trait. But I I, I move into empathy um, just by my nature, and I feel really sad for these guys and girls that are behind there. And I start wondering, I wonder what it's like to. I try and put myself in their their shoes and their headspace and go. I see a picture of this beautiful athlete um, at work doing what she does for a living and I take that as an opportunity to say some really derogative, horrendous, crude remarks and I'm trying to, trying to figure out what do I get out of that? What, what sense of satisfaction could I possibly extract of that and what must be happening in my life and in my past to be in such a toxic headspace that I then need to project that toxicity onto somebody else. Yeah. It made it made me think of so yeah, what's what's the intention? Why does a guy go online and need to comment about a woman in certain ways? Well, I don't think we need to I think it's girls doing it as well. So True. I, I I'm trying to relate it to my experience okay. though as well of right. being a guy. Um and I think a lot of the time it is so why am I commenting? I'm I'm in some way trying to be funny. So who am I trying to be funny to? Well, I'm trying to be funny to other guys. So I'm reading that as you're insecure then? Yes. Yep, okay. Yeah, yeah, that's 100%. So then it's like, okay, why am I then trying to be funny to other guys in this particular way? Well, I want to feel some sort of connection with other men. So then in my head, I'm like, all right, let me take me back to times, not online, I haven't really done really much online trolling myself, but even times in my past when... You know, I might have made, you know, comments about women or something like that, just in, you know, in yeah. the context of men. And I'm like, yeah, that's probably what it was. I'm trying to, it's like the low hanging fruit of trying to find some connection yeah. and that. So, what was missing men. from your life at that point in time? Deep connection. Mm. Being able to sit down with someone like we are right now mm -hmm. and talk about real shit and talk yeah. about life without um, substances or anything being involved. But, but with an openness and a, a lack of, like, never do you or I ever feel in the spotlight because it's there's no ego in this at all it's very much a connection isn't it yes um, and I think back as well and when I, when I raised this is a, a perhaps a topic for the podcast we had a chat about it and I asked the question hey, w would you ever have been a troll would you ever have said something and you admitted that you would have and so did I like I think back when I was in the army that you know talk about you know, you're away from your family and your friends. You're in this weird space. You're, 
you know, you, you, all you want to do is connect and feel a part of something, and it comes back to, um, you know, the the five basic human needs, that sense of belonging, um, if you look at William Glass's work, and all it was craving that belonging. The question we want to ask today, or one of the questions we want to ask is, does that excuse that behaviour? Are we looking to excuse these trolls? No. No, we're not. We're, we're not going I, to condone I think it in we any We don't way. want to condone or excuse. But I think we, we want, want to, to understand. Con- we want to put it into context a little bit. Yeah. Because I think if, if, if they're toxicity creates more toxicity that's on us um if their toxicity if we don't pour any fuel on that fire if we just sort of come into a sense of empathy and understanding and go what you're doing cannot be condoned for one minute it cannot be accepted we understand this is perhaps the reason why you're doing it and we actually want to talk to you and go look there's another way that you can do this so give guys another option when they're looking for that sense of belonging, you know, instead of just the low-hanging fruit, take the harder path uh, and find something constructive to say, maybe step up and lead by example or something. Yeah, yeah, because I think that was true with my journey. When I was more disconnected from myself and other people, I would find getting caught in conversations where that low-hanging fruit would get talked about. Now with deep connections in my life, like couldn't think of anything I'd rather do less we need, we need a comedian here because in comedy they talk about the sort of hierarchy of comedians and the, the highly intellectual ones are more observational and everything and you know they can pull things apart and they're very clever in the way they bring it all together mm-hmm. where the the more ones that just come out and go oh fuck the chicken this and that and they're sort of they don't really last mm. in the scene because their, their humour is seen to be so crude and so yeah you know, the lowest common denominator sort of thing. Yeah, yeah. So that it doesn't last because of like you might get this short-term reaction from yep. people, but you just can't keep doing the same thing because there's no substance to it. But that's what the trolls are doing is they're getting a dopamine hit. Yes. All the people that return fire with hate are actually feeding that troll exactly. Because now they're like, oh, look how important I am. Mm, I'm connected to all these people. Yes. Uh, I'm important. I am seen. I'm a, I'm a big big guy yeah you know but next week you're going to be a nobody again yeah so then you'll go to another piece of low-hanging fruit yeah to try and get that attention again yeah and then so on and so forth yeah and you'll keep doing that unless you start to develop real connection and meaningful relationships but how do they do that without someone in their life who's able to reflect that to them and to show them there's a, there's a, another pathway for you yeah. like if they don't have a healthy role model like a father or an uncle or someone 100% because this is the tough situation that's why it's back to society that's why it's that's why us. it's back to society because yeah like someone online just going to write back and go oh, I really think you should seek some deeper connection to yourself in life <laughs> I would just say get <laughs> fucked so how, do, how does someone respond to a troll online if you see someone going for that low hanging fruit and just you know being crude and condescending or whatever do you, yeah. do you reply to them? Uh, personally, I don't. Mm. Uh, I used to. If someone commented on some of my content, I just couldn't resist it. You, you sort of rub your hands together. Here's an opportunity to educate someone. And well, not educate, just like, you pull know. Them, pull them back down. Yeah, you hurt me, let me try and hurt you in some way. Yeah. You know, just that bullshit approach. And now I just I just don't respond. It's just, I don't give energy. You know, if, you know, if I saw, if I'm maybe scrolling through someone else's bit of content and there's a troll written something on there, 
I'm, I just give it zero energy. I look at it and go, oh, you, so, you, you poor fucker. And then, but, but no like, no comment, just, just completely ignore it. There's a, there's a concept though that the standard we walk by is the standard that we set. So if we don't call someone out on something, if we don't give it any energy, are we then part of the problem? Of this is what I think this is what we're trying to work out as a society with the internet in general because this whole online troll thing is something that has been a um, byproduct of the internet and being able to be somewhat anonymous and be able to write what the fuck you want, stuff yeah. that you would never say to someone's face. Um, this is why, you know, stuff with road rage, you'll see people go crazy with road rage, but if someone gets out of the car and confronts them, they'll cower. Yeah, yeah because off. Because there's the barrier of, of a car yeah. and some road between you, some yeah? metal and steel. So this is an extreme version of that because there's so much gap between you and the person that you're talking about. So I think as a society and an online community, we're trying to work out how we do react to trolls. We need, but you can lead a horse to water but can't make a drink, which we spoke earlier about accountability. And these people don't know how to be accountable. And so how do you... I was going to say make someone, but you can't make them. How do you help them to learn to be accountable? How do you educate someone to say, this comment isn't okay? Mm. Like if they don't have an open mind, if if their ground isn't fertile. Well, the ground won't be fertile if they're commenting in that way. So we need to put manure in so there. That's what I'm saying. So my, <laughs> we'll mail them some of your shit. Um, <laughs> Cut that, you troll. <laughs> so, so that's what, right now. Like my thinking is, I, I'm I'm still trying to work it out in my head. So I'm going to ignore and not give it energy. So whatever energy we do bring, yeah, what energy should that be? What's going to have the greatest effect? I don't know yet, and I don't think we know as a community. I, th- I think um, a, a great shifter um, is to put it back on the person and to make them think. That's all you can do is make them think. You can't change a person. You can only make them think. Mm-hmm. Socrates said, I can't teach anyone anything. I can only make them think. Okay. Example of this is I had a mate. I haven't seen him or spoken to him in years from the army, but we were very good mates in the army. Um, and the other day, two days ago, I was just on Facebook and saw he'd posted um, ban the burqa in Australia and a photo of a woman in a hijab and and um, it just caught me so off guard because I didn't relate it to him as a person I'm like where the fuck's this coming from and I sat there in, in, in that space between stimulus and response and I thought well, how do I approach this what do I do do I, do I give this energy do I say anything or do I start a conversation or an argument or whatever and I, I, I decided just to say um, you know, not even two weeks after Christchurch we're seeing these sort of posts mm. I mean we shouldn't see them full stop but especially two weeks after Christchurch and I said come on mate you're better than that and I left it at that mm-hmm. and I've heard no response at all and afterwards I thought I, I, I probably may have done better to private message him that um, instead of calling him out on you know in public mm-hmm. um, um, but you know I made that whatever decision I made at the time so I think just to say you're better than that really gives people an opportunity to sort of I, I don't mind that mirror. I don't mind that yeah it's interesting as well I've found the, the response similar to the road rage thing you know if someone does comment and might have really strong opinions and put you down then even I've mess- messaged people like in the comments but also privately and said, mate, if you've got strong comments about that, why don't we catch up and have a chat about it? Yeah. 
never happened. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not once. Because anyone <laughs> wanted to do that. <laughs> but what are people that are pushing their opinions is they're only pushing their beliefs. My beliefs are, are more valid than yours. Mm-hmm. That's, that's what's really happening. So it's my perception is, is is the way it should be. Yeah, and and that's such a closed-minded thing. You can't you can't get into any discussion if that's the way someone's no. coming at it. Because there's there's a a good way to start some sort of actual rational discussion is say if you've got a completely opposing viewpoint to me, yeah, for for whatever it is, and you need to be open if I say is there any bit of evidence that I could give you that would convince you to change your mind. Yeah. And if you're like, yes, I'm open to that, you just got to show me the evidence, then we can actually have a discussion because so we're both willing to have our mind changed. Mm, but that would trigger probably something in me, and I'm just thinking of this on the fly here, that why should I change my mind? It's sort of like, because you're saying, is there any evidence I give that would make you change your mind? It's that strong language. But otherwise, make you change your okay, mind. Okay, make you change your mind. Okay. I'd, so I'd, I'd, that, I'd reframe it that, to perhaps, yep. are you open to having a discussion about um, how this could look differently? Yeah. But, but if I'm not open to my mind being changed, yeah, I get the then, then I'm not in a discussion. We're just talking at each other. The, the only thing to come from arguing with a fool is to prove that there are two. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, so my dad used to say that. It was like, Never, yeah, never get in an argument with an idiot because from a distance people can't tell the difference. <laughs> <laughs> but you're right. It, well, it's just like the joke I told you earlier. How many therapists does it take to change a light bulb? Only one, but the therapist, the light bulb has to want to change. <laughs> so this person who, for just through lack of experience or knowledge or understanding or, or maturity or whatever it may be, they're sitting in this space where they don't even probably know that they're being toxic or know that mm-hmm. how damaging they're potentially being. And if someone comes along and says, mate, you've been a dickhead, mate, you're doing this, people don't like being told what to do. So that's why I think I agree with you. It's very important to open up a dialogue and, and open up a discussion around it. But you know, you're rightly saying the person has to be open-minded. Yeah. So I think I think what you said that the mate you're better than that. I, I actually like that because you know you're not going to get in a discussion because it's going to go back and forward and it's not going to work and you're going to give them the attention they want. Just say mate you're better than that because every person that does troll online or whatever they do, there's a part of them that knows they're better than that, mm. like knows it, and you're going to hit on that. Mm. And then you can just walk away. And well, it taps into their pride, and by you know, once again, by nature, there's a lot of pride in people. Mm-hmm. So if you say you're better than that, oh fuck, well, yeah, yeah, I am, yeah, I am better yeah. than that, yeah. So it might create a shift. Yes, but um, but then it, you know, if the person was very attached to their beliefs and very close-minded, they'd they'd come back with, um, or you know, why do I, what do you mean I'm better than why 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 I have the right to then say I'll this just leave it free speech no but th- that's an interesting thing is like so who is right and it comes down to morals and it comes down to values and it comes down to blah 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 so it comes down to a yeah it goes into an interesting space it goes into an interesting space but yeah I suppose it comes down to you're right who knows what's right we just sort of play out what feels right and what culture says but at the end of the day is is what someone's saying hurting someone yeah i think that's i think that's the the baseline we need to mm-hmm. come at things from is is are you contributing something positive and you know yeah are you and that's why it sucks to see these comments on the on her photo and everything but at the same time 
I like how it gets attention now because it now, uh, like I said, as a society makes us think, how do we deal with these yeah, trolls? How, how can we become better through yeah. through learning you know, this through this very glaring, uh, glaringly obvious darkness yes. in, in our society's soul? How how can we? Yeah, we are better than this. So we're th- these we are being shown the shadows more. Yeah. In this respect, and it's funny how we always talk about, you know, we're only seeing the highlights of people's life. We're on Instagram, yeah, and we're filtered. We're all filtered. We're in a beautiful park and everything. <laughs> and as soon as the things posted, they're Show arguing with everybody, <laughs> you know. But then on this troll side, we are seeing the demons as well, yeah. and a lot of this undercurrent and this racial stuff, this and sexist and stuff. And we're not a perfect society, so no. and we can't. We have to be realistic and not have these expectations that. You know, we should just all sit there and live in a utopia no. and go, oh, what a wonderful photo. We are going to have a darkness, but I think that's the purpose of... Yeah. Only by knowing that darkness can we move in the right direction yeah. and get better. So I think there's a lot of confusion out there with blokes. Um, you know, it's it's not akin to the burn your bra sort of movement, but uh, blokes are very confused from what I'm hearing on the streets. Um, and I think... Well, we don't have the answers. Obviously, we have some ideas and some philosophies and opinions and whatever. But I, th- I think we could work at um, helping guys to re-identify. You know, I think it's a great, great thing that guys are confused because it yeah. gives us a chance to look at ourselves objectively, without judgment, without thinking I'm good or bad or right or wrong, and have a, reassessing our values, reassessing you know, the way that we treat women. How do we how do we treat women? How do we treat ourselves? How do we treat kids? And yeah, yeah and I think that it is a con- confusing time for a lot of men because the imagine the pendulum was on one side, and we realised there was a lot that could be improved with yeah. the masculine, and now with all that coming to light, the pendulum's kind of swung the other way, and now we don't know kind of what we can say what we can do and that kind of thing we're questioning everything a yeah. lot more and I think we'll find then the parts of the old masculine that were good and positive and adding to the world yeah. and now we can come from this a lot of new stuff as well um, but it's going to take it yeah, before confusion comes learning and I think we're in that confusion well, stage at the minute before we can come into the clear you've got to go through the fog yeah. and I think that's where we're at so I had a chat with a, a friend and colleague of mine at Enhanced Allied Health Kim, one of the owners there, um, and we brought up this Taylor Harris sort of thing and, and the trolls and we got into a discussion about objectifying and appreciating and what's what's the difference in the two and, and Kim from her um, female perspective and point of view, which was very important to, to try and again was she said that um, because I, I brought up this double standard like you know women love AFL a lot of women do um, because the blokes wear the tight shorts you know and that's why I like it it's sexy <laughs> it's sexy <laughs> so you're sitting here wearing tight shorts <laughs> and it's it's that um it's the so I, I asked the question. I didn't say there was, but I asked the question: Is there a double standard? And you know, oh God, the trolls took it way too far. Okay, mm-hmm. they they didn't they didn't appreciate as the women seem to do with men. They appreciate men wearing tight shorts and oh, you know, that's he's so handsome and hunky and sexy and blah 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 blah. Mm-hmm. 
men didn't do that with the Taylor Harrison. They objectified her and took it to an nth degree, which is, you know, as we've stated, we cannot possibly condone. But I wanted to talk about where's the line between objectifying and um, appreciating a woman? Like how do you appreciate a woman without objectifying her? Mm. And Kim said the danger is that men turn appreciation into objectification and then into action. So men will, oh, yeah, she's, she's, she's cute, yep. and then I'll gain a bit of obsessiveness over her. And then they will turn that into action through sexual assault or anything. Yes. Where women, by and large, it does happen, but by and large, they don't turn the objectification into action. Right. So there's not... It's a really good point that she's made there. Because there's not really... It's not really a double standard then. It's not. It's not. Because even though it looks like the same action on both sides... um, Men don't have to worry. So you about line that up. A, you line up a photo of Anthony Kudafides from Carlton from years ago and um, Taylor Harris. You put those images side by side. Very similar uniform. Very similar, you know, athletic body. Mm, uh, I guess we'd have to include heterosexual men would look at the female photo and go, "Wow, that's great legs." Mm-hmm. You know, is that objectifying? Yeah. That- that's what was going to be my next question. Yeah. So if I, if I then even commented on the photo or something and said, "Wow, she looks fucking amazing. She's hot." Yeah. Is that objectifying her? I. That's the thing. I from from my current knowledge base and my current viewpoint, I would say that's appreciating her. That's that's what I would say too. I don't. I think objectifying her would then be talking about. Um, I'd love to do this to her. Okay. Yep. I of think, course, of course. I think if you carry it into that space, mm-hmm. then you've crossed a line. So then I think – so we're saying the line is somewhere between those two. But then a lot of people, I think, would say that we're objectifying by commenting, even though we think it's appreciating. Well, I think it's, it's not black argument. and white. So, it's not. You know, but you reverse the roles. Um, a heterosexual woman looking at the Anthony Kudafiti thing, she'd look at him and go, fuck, look at that. And she's a, a body of an Adonis. Yeah, and all that. But she, I don't think a woman would then go, oh, I'd love to, can't wait to get him between my legs and I'd love to fucking yeah. get my hands down his pants. And they just wouldn't go into that space. But then, yeah, it's what you came back to before. Even if they did go down to that space, I'm not going to speak for Cuda here, but um, you know, I'll speak for myself. If someone said that about me, I'd be fine with that because there's no then fear yep. that someone's going to actually do something and take action on that exactly. on my behalf. Yeah. So there's a the difference, isn't it? Yeah. Ooh. So even though that comment, if some woman said that, it is a very objectifying comment, but I, I would feel more appreciated than objectified because I haven't got that fear around something that might happen. Yeah, you're not worried that she's going to come and actually do what she says she's going to do. Mm. She can't follow her words with action. Yes. As much as a man can. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, yeah, well, she could, but then I'm physically in myself well, that's can, I mean. can handle that. So yeah. that's why there's there's no fear there. Yeah. Where, um, and that's where I think that, as I said, we need to do better. We're better than this. I think men need to step into this space where we not only appreciate women but um, help them to feel safe yeah. and help them to feel at peace and at ease and comfortable. And I think men, men as well, there's a really good book called Way of the Superior Man by David Data, 
we, I, I give it to a lot of male clients here to try and give them a better understanding of, you know, the way they look at women and that kind of thing. Because we tend to have this situation in our head, especially if we're in a relationship, and it's like the, this book explaining you're allowed to, like, look at other women. You're allowed to appreciate some other woman's beauty just because a woman might walk into the cafe and she's nine and a half out of ten hot while she's mm. blindingly hot. Mm. You can acknowledge that. It doesn't mean you want to take any action on exactly. that. But, okay? but if you're in a relationship and you're sitting there at the cafe with your girlfriend next to you and this nine out of ten walks in, what do you do then? Well, in, like, is, does the caveman brain take over and just go look around and go, oh, but there's, there's no intent in it. There's no, I want to I want to shag her. It's just, my God, look at... Look at that physical yeah. body. Yes. Yeah. Which so is then, a very surface level thing. So if then if 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 there's baggage between you and your partner, then men will it'll be awkward as hell. Because they'll try not to look, they'll get a bit funny around their girlfriend. The girl will be like, Oh, you think she's hot? Like it's just such rubbish. Okay. That's why that's I think that's an insecurity on the woman's part, is it? Uh it's yes, but it's also a sign of no proper communication between the both of them. Okay. I spoke to a, a female friend of mine who runs a place called Soul Evolution. She does tarot, Reiki, numerology, and all that. Oh, amazing woman. Deborah Bull, shout out to Deb. Shout and um uh, big ups Deb. And I was sort of talking to her about uh, something similar and she said I think she said women who are around thirty you know, 20, 30 years old, say they don't feel safe with their man when they go out in public because he's going to look at all these other women or whatever. She, she had a really interesting take. She said the, the woman is actually feel, it doesn't feel safe not because of the man but because of the other women. Mm-hmm. She doesn't trust these other women. So the man may have never given her reason to think he'll ever cheat on or whatever but she'll have this fear or this insecurity um, but it doesn't come from the man, it comes from the other women she's in competition mm. so it's a very base animal sort of thing it is yeah. a very base animal but thing. when she's 40 she won't give a fuck because she'll be like oh go off and do your thing yeah because <laughs> <you know? laughs> she's she's so much more secure yes yeah yeah that works both sides as well i've yeah. seen that before like and it it's an interesting thing like you know when one part uh, the male or the female gets jealous and then says you know it's not that I don't trust you, I don't trust the yeah. other people. It's like, well, it generally takes two to tango, yeah. you know? If you, if you trust me, then what's the what's the issue? I'm a weird creature, I think. Oh, for a lot of reasons, let's, let's be honest. But one of them is that um, I look at everyone. Like, I think, I don't know whether it comes back to my army days, you know, of being a scout or whatever and, and just observing or whether it's just my nature, but I take everything in and I'll... I'll look at a handsome man and go, Jesus, dude, what a what a rig, what a yep. body. Yeah, and there's nothing sexual in that. And I'll look at a woman and go, Jesus, look at your body and just appreciate that. And yeah, and yep. and sometimes you know depends on the space I'm in or whatever. But um, it may trigger a lustfulness, perhaps, and and, and it'll go, oh, look, boobs, um, boobs. Boobs, <laughs> boobs. <laughs> you can't speak. Yeah. Um, but other times I'll look beyond that, and I'll just, you know, I've met so many nine and a half out of tens um, that I, I don't even sort of look at their bodies. It's more a soul or a spiritual mm. thing. So, yeah, it's, it's just every. I think every interaction we have is an energetic exchange. 
So we're having an energetic exchange. But we're always right processing. Now. Yeah, that's it. So like we just went and got a coffee at the shops next door yeah. and like the people that I randomly walked past, the guy that I actually ordered the coffees off, I'm still processing that interaction somewhere in my mind. I'm still seeing a woman people. in a dress uh, and we're going up the escalators and her whole back was showing. Mm-hmm. And, and I'm still, I'm not, oh, I guess I am still processing that, not because I thought it was hot or because I was trying to cop a look or anything, but just because it was so different from everyone else who was mm. mainly clothed. Yeah, because we've got men and women, we just have so many of these ancient biological drives and everything. And, you know, you can see a woman with certain proportions. Mm. I've done studies on this. And it will have a drug-like effect yep. on men with yep. our neurochemistry. Okay, now we just need to understand this kind of stuff and not be threatened by it. And not be threatened by it. I I had a mate. Uh, do I tell this story? Yeah. Um, and it's not the Bangkok story. Don't worry, I tell that one. <laughs> and, and he he was married to a, a nine out and a half out of ten. Glory, amazing chick. Uh, they got a divorce a few years later. And I was chatting to another mate and he said, the thing about her was the day you meet her was the best looking she'll ever be. Mm-hmm. And I was really sort of floored by that because it was so true. It was like she was amazing on the outside, but as soon as you got to know her, mm-hmm. just the beauty, the everything just faded and crumbled away. Yeah. And this is, yeah, this is a big one, especially we were talking about Instagram, like a lot of these Instagram models and that kind of thing. It's Influencers. Like, oh, God. <laughs> Pleased to meet you. I'm a social media influencer. <laughs> Fucking hell. Um, you, so if I've got, if I'm hanging my hat, so much of my identity is hung on my physical looks. Yeah. Then the truth is, we're all fucking getting older. Those looks. You've got got 10 years left. Yeah, exactly. Like these looks are just, you're going to go away, you're going to age. When that happens, what happens to you as a person? Hopefully, you're going to come back to the level that you've worked on yourself and your inner world and Mm. your self value and your self worth and your self love and your acceptance. That's going to be what comes up. And unfortunately, I think a lot of people. They're hanging on to this physical side so much that when that starts to deteriorate, they start to lose their shit because yeah. that was who they were. The, 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 the whole identity is wrapped up in that. And all of a sudden, there's no filter in the world that's going <laughs> <laughs> to kill when, All of a sudden, you're looking at Gollum. <laughs> I, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm fully at peace with I'm one of those people. I'm, I'm not a nine and a half out of ten. I'm no oil painting. But I think I've been told that I... I get more attractive as people get to know me because whatever's internally comes out. Yes. You know, and probably masks all my imperfections or my physical imperfections or whatever. Still got many internal imperfections. But um, I, I, th- I think you're right. The people in that category, um, they're the people we want to spend time with. And, and because oh, what you're getting from them is a lot longer lasting mm-hmm. than the people who are just surface level, look okay, how pretty I am. Yeah, well, it's that, that short-term neurochemical boost yeah. as opposed to forming a deep connection with someone. Deep. I think you're a very attractive man. Thank you. Yeah. So do I. <laughs> <laughs> Is it time for the segue? All right. All right. Um, listeners, radio, ring in, even though we're a podcast. Ring in and tell us how to spell segue because I think it was S E G U. 
It's uh, it's a weird spelling. It's Seguiu. Seguiu. But we wrote it Segway phonetically. Yeah. Do, do you know what's funny? The the word phonetic isn't yeah, spelled phonetically. <laughs> it's got a fucking ph. What about the word funeral? It has fun at the start of it. I put the fun in funerals. <laughs> what about lisp? It has an sp in it. Lisp. <laughs> it's like a cruel joke. <laughs> Oh, I'd love to meet the people that came up with these words. I'm, I'm, I'm always going to that headspace of who did it first, who was the first person to. Yeah. Well, we were talking before about insults and cock jam. Like, yeah. <laughs> who was the first and guy that coined that term? Neck up parrot. Neck up, you fucking parrot. <laughs> All right, the segue. So we've, we've spoken about Taylor uh, and shout out to Taylor and we'd love to chat with you if you ever want to come on and... Um, uh, have a, a discussion around this and trolls. If you're a troll as well, shoot us an email. Um, if you're a troll, come in and let's let's connect. Oh, uh, let's talk. We need an email. We need a. We've got our own emails that we've been given out. Yeah. I'm um, hello at mindfitmyndfit.com.au. Ryan at thecenterforhealing.com.au. But maybe we need a an Instagram page where people can DM us or something. DM us. Drop into our DMs. We'll, we'll look at we'll creating look at a woke some bloke. sort of woke bloke. Instagram. Uh, Instagram. We'll, we'll work on it. Yeah, we'll do something. So we've, we've spoken about the tale and the trolls and the objectifying versus appreciating and, and all that sort of stuff. And uh, the segue is because we want to then look at how, you know, Taylor was, was wonderful and brave and spoke about how this was potentially going to impact her mental health. And I love what she's done is she's taken this and she's owned it and she's using it as a vehicle to yes. affect positive change, yes. which takes such strength and such courage. Such strength and courage, but that's, and it's also going to be so much better for her mental health of as course, well. Of course, that's come the thing. She's taking ownership. So in another parallel universe, she could have become a victim and you know, gone into this headspace of this is happening to me and personalised it. I think what she's done amazingly well uh, is she hasn't personalised it. She's kept it at bay and she's gone, this is more about you than it is about me. Yep. This is this has got nothing to do with me, actually. This could be Debbie or Stacey or mm-hmm. Trudy or Rhonda or Shaniqua Fonda. Mm-hmm. Um, and the, the same trolls would pop up. Mm-hmm. So she's removed herself from the situation. Done and gone, amazingly well. This isn't me. So um, it's, it's, we, we want to sort of open up the discussion about how this could affect mental health, uh, a person's mental health. And, 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 and this happens every day, by the way. On a micro level? To people we just don't level. know about. Like this, th- know? what we're talking about is a macro level because yes. like there's so much awareness around it. But it can happen, you know, someone cutting you off while you're driving. You can personalise that and it affects your mental health. Mm-hmm. So uh, Tristan says something earlier about... I know you're laughing because this is my thing, but it's it's that um, working with people with mental health. And what did I say? Do you remember? Oh, you, you've got a thing around this mental health thing. You 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 said we should be having mental health. No, I said everyone has mental. Everyone health. has mental. So health. if you're working with someone with mental health, you're working with anybody. Yes. I think the term needs to be clear or redefined and I'm working with people with mental health issues mm. like, or mental illness yeah exactly it's uh, mental health is just in relation to one's emotional um, and psychological well-being that's by definition that's yes. what it is so we all have emotional and psychological well-being everyone it's just sometimes it's in a really good space sometimes it's in a really bad space sometimes it's in between mm-hmm. we're humans we fluctuate 
Um, but there's things that we can do to proactively, there's that word again, attend to to trying to keep it in a positive state. Yes. So, um, yeah, it was just interesting hearing, oh, you know, oh, working with people with mental health. I'm like, yeah, I talk to people every day with mental health. <laughs> I sat in a cinema the other day with, with everyone who had mental health. You've all got mental health. Fucking... Yeah, so so the question came up. I had it in my head. I, I read this the other day. Um, a woman was talking about her brother, uh, unfortunately, committed suicide. But the way she termed it, and I know this is semantics, but semantics to me mm-hmm. is is so important because it does have a physiological effect. It, it does. The words we speak make us feel something. Mm-hmm. So she said, "My brother died from depression." Right, and that just bing. At, at, caught my attention and I was like can we die from depression is depression something we can die from yes explain yourself please explain well I'm just I'm thinking about this kind of for the first time so here's the thing I don't see depression as a disease that we're going to have a need to manage. Mm-hmm. I see depression as an injury. Yep. Okay. Just like trauma, just like addiction. I see more of it as an injury, okay? So something that, that can definitely be healed. So let me put this to you before we, we move on from there. If you look at a landscape, people often talk about there's a depression in the hills over there. Yes. Have you heard that? Yes. What, what does that mean? There's a there's a, well, a bit that goes in an indentation of some yeah, sort. There's a low point. Yes. Yeah. So there's a depression. Mm-hmm. If we look at our mental health as a spectrum of zero to ten, mm-hmm. the people I tend to work with fluctuate between a zero and possibly an eight. Mm-hmm. You know, and anywhere in between they'll be all over the shop. What I try and help to do is to so their depression is a zero. I try and help their depression to be a five so is what's a zero mean so very on, on that on that yeah so it's it's that um, so they're quite depressed yeah extremely yeah, extremely depressed yeah. at a zero. Okay. so i try and get their their depression their lowest point to being a five out of ten and to fluctuate between a five and an eight okay so to me depression isn't an injury mm-hmm. depression is a natural an ebb and a flow right yeah and we're all going to fluctuate. The Dalai Lama is not just, you know, flatlining on a ten. He he too will probably fluctuate between a, a nine and a ten. All right. But I think you're talking about what, what the word depression means now. Well, I think we need to because if depression can kill you, mm-hmm. how are you framing all that right. word well, in your head? Let me let me finish my train of thought, and then we'll come back to the how do we do how we define the word. The reason I'm saying I see it like an injury because if I if I have like a gunshot wound to my say leg or something, right? I've got an injury, and I might be able to go and get that bullet removed, get stitched up, and allow my body to heal, and, and it will heal. And I might have to do some physical therapy. So something has to happen in order for you to yeah. have a depression, though. Now, yes. No way. We'll get to that. Mm. <laughs> Let me get to that. Mm. So then now if I am in this, let's say, let's say I have that bullet wound and I just then let it go, okay? If you don't attend to it. If I don't attend to it, okay? Then we might 
become infected. Um, I might become septic. Different other processes will happen and I might eventually die from that. Yeah. So now I am relating. I'm saying, okay, I did die from being shot, but it wasn't tended to when a lot of these other things happened. So the, the, I went really, really down the rabbit hole there and it got to a point where I was unable to live. So that I sometimes see depression that people, we can let it get so far that it gets to a point mentally where we can't cope anymore and we end our life. So in that respect, that's why my initial answer was yes. Okay. And I think we need to bring into the conversation the types of depression because there's endogenous depression and the other one that's escaping me at this point in time. Exogenous. Thank you. Um, So what you're talking about is when something happens, then you get depressed. You, you, You... a gunshot when you get injured so life will happen and you will go into a space where you feel very low mm-hmm. yep is that is that the same thing as a gunshot yeah let's call it some sort of trauma yeah okay so trauma happens you experience trauma and you go into depression i've done it you've done it yeah but then there's a natural depression as well isn't there tell me about that well that's 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 that yeah, the human emotions, it's the fluctuating, it's the ebb and flow. Sometimes we feel good, sometimes we don't feel good. There doesn't have to be a cause for it. It's just mm-hmm. we have an off day. Our energy is off. Maybe we've not been yeah. going to the gym or eating so well. So I would say I don't – like here's I think where we get the words and might maybe be missed up. I don't see depression as an emotion. So I would say if I'm experiencing apathy, that's like depression. If I'm, yeah. I'm, if I'm in a state of apathy. So I'm now trying to use the word depression as – if I'm stuck in that state. Yeah, right. So I think that's where we're maybe getting caught up. Mm. Because of course, there's, we could be in apathy, we could be in sadness, we could be in grief, we could be in these different states, but they are... So you say depression is a more a clinical... St- a clinical... I think, I think it's... Yeah, I think it's when we're getting stuck in those states. Yeah, so I, I think people get stuck in depression. Mm-hmm. I don't think depression is when someone gets stuck in a state. Yes, okay. So we've got different takes on that. Yeah. So oh, it's, our, can, it's our first argument. I can, <laughs> I can just say, okay, yes, I would just say probably the state of apathy, state of depression would be the same thing then. Okay. And then we're getting in the same So I, I agree. People get stuck in trauma mm-hmm. and a byproduct of that is their mm-hmm. mental health will deteriorate into a mental illness mm-hmm. um, and if not attended to, I call it septicemia of the emotions, that toxicity will spread through yeah. many parts of their life. So I'm very much in agreement and understanding of that. Um, but I think we also have a natural ebb and flow where, you know, we're on a high one day, okay. the chemicals are well, working. Well, that's an interesting point. So if that did happen to a person and yep. they got that septicemia yep. and they ended up committing suicide, yep. what killed them? I think, well, it depends how harsh you want to be. I th- remember we spoke about accountability earlier. Shame was spoken about. Mm-hmm. Um, I think depression's probably maybe a catalyst for them to head down that path. But I think what ultimately, you know, I'm talking my own experience here when I was suicidal. Um, looking back, I don't think depression would have killed me. I think, uh, and uh, yeah, a sense of shame and reaching out and getting help would have killed me. I think. Uh, an expectation that oh, I shouldn't have this would have killed okay. me. Okay, yeah. Okay, I'm starting to reform my thinking now. I think that's. I think shame kills people. Yeah. So I think 
if depression is allowed to go on and we go into a shame state, that's that's when we become susceptible. And I'm raising this question purely from the you know, I remember going back to semantics and the perception have and people go, oh, mental health kills people. That's so wrong. Mm-hmm. It's, I'm really I am. I, you're right. I, it is important to me. I'm a sort of an advocate for it because I, I want to get the dialogue right around all of this because uh, I think it's crucial. I think it's really important. I, and I think it, it just, you know, on your sign, you've got breaking stigma. And I think it just adds to the stigma. Depression killed someone. I don't think it does. Like I, I wrote a Facebook post about you're allowed to be depressed and it doesn't mean you have depression because mm-hmm. they're two totally different things. So... Yeah, I, I just I don't know. I don't think depression kills people, and that's going to be. But then stigma can mean a hundred different things as well. Yeah, I know. But uh, like to me, it's it's a it's a perception. Yes. And so I'm just trying to change the perception. I agree. I think we do need to change a lot of wording. Yeah. You know, a lot of a lot of people will say, like for me, like addiction killed so and so. Yeah. Or or, yeah, yeah, yeah. or drugs killed so and so. And a lot of the time, and this is really controversial, a lot of the time drugs have kept someone alive. Yeah. I think... Well, depression I think, keeps people alive too. Yeah. I think people have this whole thing, like, oh, if we just... And this will never happen, by the way. If we can just eradicate all drugs <laughs> from the streets, then everyone will be fine. If you eradicated eradicated all drugs from the streets, the rates of suicide would go through the roof. Yeah. Because drugs are the only thing they've found to help them cope with life. Yeah. Yeah. And depression, to me keeps people in a space where they're just stuck and when they're stuck it means they're not moving deeper Mm. you know so it holds them in this space i think so how can we what language needs to be changed around this you know Uh, depression not not attending to like mental illness uh, uh, i'd say would be more and types of depression are a mental illness i'm sort of contradicting myself there but i don't know i think uh um I don't have the answers, mm-hmm. you know. I just want to. I just want to challenge. Yes. And and put some food for thought out there. But sitting here, just off the cuff, I think, can you die from depression? I, I, to me, it's too disempowering, mm-hmm. you know. And I think that's really. I just came into that understanding. I think that's what it's really about. It's just so disempowering. Depression killed me mm. it's, it's and, the, and I think th- when we're talking about changing language and perception it's it's always because we want people to feel more empowered than disempowered totally and we spoke earlier um uh Matty Runnell shout out again who was talking at the, the event on Sunday he was just saying how you know when he first went in to see a, a psychiatrist and was mm. diagnosed with bipolar and was just told yeah, okay, here's here's your condition that you've got. You're going to have crazy manic highs, really depressive lows, and we're just going to have to manage that and we'll use this medication to try and get you through. There's some coping strategies. Some coping strategies. He, he said, what if instead when I went in that first time and spoke to him and got diagnosed, the first thing he said to me is, you've got bipolar disorder. Here's a list of people, Ernest Hemingway, and he reeled off maybe five or ten names. These are people who've led really fulfilled and successful lives who also have bipolar and then start talking about some other stuff. All of a sudden you're empowering someone with their condition, which we're just putting a label, but their condition, mm. instead of taking away power and saying, let's just try and help you get through life. Yeah, yeah, I think that's a great, 
Well, what that's doing, that's reframing it, mm. you know, and it's, it's opening up in a different dialogue and a different conversation. It's painting a different picture in a person's head. Yes. And I think if you paint the inside of someone's head with depression can kill you, I think more people are going to do it. Yep. You know? Agreed. That, I think that's what it's really coming down to for me personally. Agreed. So if we can say, look, depression is a state of being it, it's there, there is drugs you can take to come out of it or to to help um, manage it better or there is you know, cognitive retraining you can do or mm. there's exercise or there's meditation or there's yoga or these other things you can do to attend to your mental health and well-being uh, I think that's going to put people in a lot better position than depression can kill you yes and I think even everyone's trying to work out the proper definition. Like even when they created the, you know, the DSM, the Diagnostic Statistic Manual, and they were trying to describe what depression is and mm. so all of a sudden GPs and psychiatrists got this checklist where you just check these boxes. If there's more than this many checked, then you've got depression. And then people kept coming in and these doctors and psychiatrists went back and said, everyone who's suffering from grief, yeah. so if they've lost someone, they tick all these boxes for depression. It's the same thing. So then they said, oh, Oh, well, what we'll do if they've got the symptoms for more than two weeks, then they've got depression. So it's like we're, we're trying to move the goalposts. Even the experts are just guessing. Guessing, 100%. That's best guessing. Yeah. And so I, th- I don't think we can live in that black and white world. You have depression or you don't have depression. That's why I'm trying to create a more fluid mindset with you may be in a depression. Yeah, because everyone's on a spectrum, aren't they? Yeah. Everyone wants to know... Am I depressed or not? Am I addicted or not? Do I have bipolar or not? It's like, hang on, maybe we're all on a spectrum. You are, and you're going to fluctuate and you're going to... But there's things that you can do, as I said earlier, to keep you at one end of the spectrum. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I was very stuck down the negative end of that spectrum for many years and had to go through a metanoic process to metanoic. De- <laughs> deconstruct and then reconstruct myself. God, you love it yourself so easily. Someone's got it. <laughs> Here's a definition of a man who can make himself happy. And I had to go through that breakdown and rebuild to reconstruct the way I self-managed uh, instead of just needing to cope with depression and anxiety. Um, you know, I wanted to to shift out of that mindset and create a more fluid state. Now, we all have anxiety. Mm. We all do. Because it's a fear. A fear is a – anxiety is fear. And if we don't use it in the right you know, environment and in the right dose, then it's going to overwhelm us mm. and it's going to take us into, you know, a space that doesn't feel good. Um, when we experience trauma – um, the anxiety acts like a bodyguard will override and go, right, you clearly can't handle this experience. I'm, gonna, I'm taking over and I'm going to shut us down. And that's where agoraphobia comes from. It's like we're in lockdown. We're in, you're in the bubble. You're in that safe, you're in that deep in your comfort zone, right? And we're going to stay there because it's too dangerous on the outside. Yeah, it's helpful short term, like you know, medication is with some people. But long term, it starts to have an adverse effect. So... If we can go go into this, all right, I am anxious today. That doesn't mean I'm going to be anxious tomorrow or as anxious tomorrow. Mm-hmm. It's that, it's, I don't know, it's, I guess it's that concrete thinking, that rigid concrete oak tree thinking versus the more fluid, flexible bamboo thinking. Yes. Yeah, and I think as well when we 
when we are holding that in mind, like I've got depression, I've got anxiety, then that reticular activating system, no matter what happens in our life or at work, yeah. we'll be like, oh, that's just because of my generalized anxiety disorder. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's just because of my depression. Oh, it's just because I've got borderline. Yeah. And then we keep looking for things to reinforce that diagnosis that we've got, which keeps us stuck as well. But I, I got diagnosed with depression and anxiety and <laughs> I think I've just been diagnosed as being a human. Yeah. <laughs> Seriously. Like the depression, and I, notice I don't use the words my depression and my anxiety because I'm not personalizing it. Yeah. The And once again, semantics. The depression that I was experiencing or the anxiety that I was experiencing um, held me in this space where where I was very disempowered, where I couldn't function. I was, I was disabled. I was dysfunctional. Mm-hmm. Um, but then I went through a system and a process where I started to relearn how to function in a different manner and that worked for me. So when, when I got diagnosed with depression and anxiety, it's like you have these, and I'm using emotions, and I know you said before you don't see them as emotions, but you, you, are, you have these, these parts of you and some days they'll rise up a little bit, some days they'll sort of deflate a little bit. Mm-hmm. And that's all it is for me now. Yeah. So that's, I mean, handling emotions and not judging them and understanding them, then they, they will. They're like waves. They just come, they go. They don't have to stay for too they're, long. They're just visitors. Visitors, yeah. yeah. And a little bit of a feedback system. Yeah, but when I become aware that I'm feeling a little bit agitated or a little bit overwhelmed or upset or something... I check in with myself. Mm. I don't reach for an external coping okay. mechanism. Okay, this is really important. Okay, this is this can be. Let's make this the takeaway um, for people listening: is that our natural instinct is when these emotions come up, let's look externally real quickly because I don't want to feel this anymore. Mm. Okay, whereas you're saying your go-to that it's like a little alarm system or red flag that goes up. Oh, let me go in. Yeah, let me well, check in with myself. That's, that's yeah, you're right, but by nature we have an aversion to feeling that way because it doesn't feel good mm-hmm. but i've brought into the parameters of how i operate that i there are going to be times where i don't feel good so i'm not reactive to that now and i don't react by reaching for a beer or smokes or drugs or whatever um i just sit there and i'm, I'm in full acceptance you know because it's within my parameters of mm-hmm. who i am yes so when I come into the awareness and I'm feeling that way because I'm not reactive. I can sit there and observe it and that gives me a capacity to check in with it. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm probably more capable now than I've ever been because I can check in with it. Yes. And you, you this comes back to what we started talking about at the start was that being accepting yourself and valuing yourself. And some people will listen to this and go, yeah, I accept myself. When they're in a real good state, then they wake up one day and they're just not in a good state at all. And that's the time when we don't accept ourselves because I, I need to be a different way. But that's the time that we need to accept ourselves the most. Yeah, but I mean, go back to that. What we were speaking about with Tristan earlier is that selflessness in Buddhism. I'm not waking up tomorrow. Like it's, it's not me that's going to wake up. It's going to be a new version of me that wakes up. Mm-hmm. So it's not me that will be depressed tomorrow. I don't know how I'm going to be tomorrow. I don't know how I'm going to feel tomorrow. I don't know. I do know that I've programmed myself to unconsciously wake up and automatically go, I wonder what today's going to bring. So it instantly opens my mind. Yes. 
uh, and helps me to be present. But yeah, I'm not going to go. Oh fuck, I'm depressed. Oh, that means I'm going to be depressed. My whole week's gone. That's it. I'm fucked. Mm-hmm. I'm calling in sick. Blah 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 blah. Yeah. You know, I don't. I don't go into that reactive space and go into that deconstructive thinking. Yeah, because that keeps us stuck. It really does. Stuck's no good. Stuck is no. So I good. hope I hope Taylor's um, mental health. She's managed. It seems from the outside that she's managing her mental health, and um, it does. I think she's handled it. She's not really letting well. that stimulus that toxicity dictate how she feels to to the degree that it could obviously it's affecting her in some way but um i don't think she's going to get depression um and and die from it it's mm-hmm. uh, i don't think you know the way she's self-managing self-regulating her this is this to me speaks volumes of her emotional intelligence which is that capacity to, for self-awareness and self-regulation so yeah. she's managing this she's holding it both she's process she seems to be present and not personalizing and i think she's a a role model um, not just for women in sport but for Everyone. society in general 100 so percent. hat off to you taylor hats off taylor all right let's wrap this bitch up mate that was an hour 20 <laughs> righto right let's get some ramen Ramen. Oh, it's ramen, ramen time. time. There's the best ramen, ramen joint over the road here. Yeah, Me and Nick, it's a, it's a podcast ritual now. It is so. It is. Uh, all right, mate. What are we going to speak about next time? Got any ideas? Uh, I'd love, once again, to open up to any people that want to are struggling with something. I'd love, to, I mean, I think we can be seen as resources. Mm-hmm. Um, so if people are struggling, shoot us an email, ask us some questions. Yeah. Um, but I think we can, that's what I had. This is uh, this is one for you to think on. Is today's biggest addiction dopamine? Uh, yeah, it always it always has been throughout human history. Uh, <laughs> not fuck, just I thought I had a rip. Not there. just today. <laughs> no, people look at alcohol and and drugs and all these things as the biggest addictions, yeah. cigarettes and everything. Yeah, but is. Look at it from a community or social perspective. Yeah. Is, is, are, we, are we all craving? We, we take we do a certain behaviour or take a certain drug or whatever it is, not because of the drug, but how it makes us feel. So what is that? What is what? What are we feeling? Yeah. We're feeling our neurochemistry. So yeah, it's dopamine, it's serotonin, it's oxytocin, it's norepinephrine, it's acetylcholine. Dopamine's the number one because that's our motivation and reward neurochemical. Yeah, yeah right. Yeah, if you if you knock dopamine receptors out of a rat, so yeah. there's no dopamine going on, yeah. it'll just sit there and starve till it dies. You can put cheese in front of it and it just won't eat it, and it'll starve to death. Poor little rat. I know. Why I, would you do that? I listen. Read all these studies, and I'm like, man, how many rats have been sacrificed? Who, who, what sort of person would just knock the dopamine out and of then, a rat? And then and then I. Yeah. Honey, what did you do at work today? <laughs> I knocked dopamine out of a rat and watched it starve itself to death. You've gone English again. I've knocked How- dopamine out of a rat. <laughs> What's going on with that? <laughs> I don't know, man. <laughs> In a past life, are you a geezer? What is going on with me at the minute? <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's wrap this up. Let's keep. Let's talk about that next time, though, because we've got a lot of thoughts on the on the dopamine issue. All right, uh, and I also want to talk about. Um, your mind being co-complicit in your suffering. Mm. So how much how much of your suffering is your responsibility? <sighs> Next one's going to be deep. Oh no. I'm excited. Me too. I'm more excited for the ramen. So that is it for us today, the Woke Blokes podcast. Thanks to all the woke folk for listening. Oh, no. My body just, <laughs> my body just shuddered when you said that. 
All right, woke folk. We'll catch you on the next episode. See ya. Thank you for tuning in to the Woke Blokes podcast. Please don't forget to subscribe to the show. Also, leave us a five-star rating. We thank you so much, and we'll see you all next time. Thank you.